This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we are joined by Ames Superintendent Dr. Paula Vincent. It's school budget season, and we're going to have an amazing conversation about the process and considerations that are needed to set the fiscal budget for next school year. Dr. Paula Vincent, welcome to this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. So a couple months ago, you know, when we did uh, your first podcast episode, I wasn't so sure that we would have an opportunity for a second one, and yet here we are. How about that? You know, I, I do always um, reflect on the the school calendar and cycle. Everything kind of moves in cycles, and, and for this episode... We're getting into budget season. Very definitely, yes. As is every district across the state. I mean, this is the time of year that although we are only halfway through this school year, we have to have that lens and eye on what the next year looks like. That's correct. We're planning right now for fiscal 23, even though we aren't quite even into uh, the 2022 calendar year, but that's the way school finance works in Iowa. You know, I'm going to fully admit, you know, this isn't the flashy of topics. You know, it's not the flashiest of of things to talk about, but it's incredibly important. I mean, not only for our district, um, but we're going to take an approach on on this particular podcast to um, speak somewhat broadly about, you know, funding in public education, but then, you know, also look somewhat specifically in Ames on, on some of the things that we're looking at. And then most of the episode, we're going to talk about the process that it takes to work a budget. It's a multi-month process. Yes, yes. And actually, there are key dates that happen all year round, but we are approaching the critical time for that planning to start to draw some conclusions. So I do joke with people, you know, I've learned a lot from our CFO, Um, you know, having gone through the bond referendum several years ago, you know, her and I, we had to have many of conversations and, you know, I joked with her at the time and I would continue to now, I would ask her what I thought was a very simple question. And of course, you know, she has, you know, that wide range of knowledge around school finance and she gave me a very long answer and I was like, okay, but what does that really mean? So I'm going to now put that pressure on you and try to give us a, a broad sense about how school budgets are determined in public education. Yes, and just very quickly, you know, if anyone has specific questions or wants to go into detail, uh, we are fortunate to have one of the most talented CFOs in the state and would just Absolutely. say to folks they should reach out to us and have that conversation. But in Iowa, our funding uh, uh, for public schools is based on what's known as a foundation plan, and it's unique. There aren't very many states that have that particular approach, but it basically is a pupil-driven plan. So enrollment is a critical first step, and we do have that first step in our planning process. That's that snapshot of students that are members of our district on a certain date every year. We call that the certified enrollment, Mm -hmm. along with some weighting that goes for special populations. Um, But we have that piece. And based on that piece, the state establishes what they call their allowable funding per pupil, Um, and it's a little over $7,000 in Iowa right now. So the certified enrollment times that state cost 
uh, really sets the parameter for what we are able to spend. Um, and we get very concerned about our authority. So that's a key word in Iowa, our authority to spend. And the reason for that is trying to make sure all students across the state uh, have access to a similar type education. Um, you know, you would have property-rich districts like Ames mm -hmm. that have the capacity to spend more than some other districts in the state, but they want to try to have that control within Iowa uh, for the basis of equity. Um, so we come up against sometimes being able to have cash in the bank, so to speak, but we don't have the permission to spend it. Yeah. Um, so that uh, authority, cash authority in Iowa is also critical. Um, it's also partly a measure that helps us uh, try to be prudent with our tax rates and that those taxing rates are also similar across Iowa. So it, it doesn't depend as much on where you live in terms of what your property tax might uh, turn out to be. So I found that, you know, um, in addition to all of the things that you said, I, I want to briefly give you an opportunity to also talk about, we talk about like there's different silos of money, you know, and the yes, general fund yes. is, is one of the biggest ones for budget purposes that, you know, we are looking at because that's the one that pays um, staff salaries, the benefits. And so like, that's one that, you know, we really have to pay close attention to, um, not to make this about school finance podcast, but um, there are other pockets of money that we do look at. And, and one of the things, and I haven't heard it recently, but I understand the sentiment is, well, we're building this really big high school right now, you know, yet, you know, we could be talking about a number of, of staffing considerations. Well, they don't really relate to each other in some ways. Yeah. So I want to give you an opportunity to, to explain that a bit. It is, you know, and it is maybe one of the more uh, complex strategies uh, for everyone to understand, but our funding very definitely comes in separate pots. And the general fund, as you mentioned, it's by and far our largest amount of money and the place where we have the most flexibility. We still have specific guidelines about what is an allowable expenditure mm -hmm. and what's not in every uh, category. But we do have categories of funding to try to allow for things like construction. Those would be mostly coming out of a physical plant fund mm -hmm. or, uh, in this case, the community passed a bond referendum, so there is bond capacity there. We have uh, funds that are specific for maintaining the buildings. Again, mm -hmm. that goes back to the physical plant and equipment levy. We have a small fund for instructional support to allow for some of the curriculum adoptions, yeah. but every category um, has very tight, uh, specific strings, if you will, about what it can be used for, and we can't intermingle those funds in most circumstances. So when we're talking about our staffing or our teachers uh, and our support staff, those by and large are uh, general fund expenditures. So you talked about enrollment a bit ago. Um, Ames experienced this last year, and as did many other districts, but we saw a slight dip in enrollment last year. And so we saw a rebound this year, but what we see on October 1, and we saw more students you know, in our district on October 1 this year, yes, that impacts our next year, um, 
but we also think about last year and how that impacted us. So talk right. us through a little bit yes. um, about our current situation and aims on how we essentially borrowed from ourselves, you know, for yeah. this year. Yeah. You know, Iowa really does try to help districts keep as even a keel as they can uh, for their expenditures. And so, again, as a function of that authority of what we can spend, when you are people-driven like we are in Iowa and you have that significant drop in student enrollment, uh, you don't have those students to drive your basic general fund. Mm -hmm. So Iowa has a provision that allows us to uh, go on what's known as a budget guarantee, which means that we don't have to reduce our expenditures by that full amount at one time. Uh, if that enrollment never rebounds, you have to keep reducing to that. Uh, but as you mentioned, we essentially got authority to spend the difference between what that prior year's enrollment was and the year in which we had the drop. Um, so we kind of borrowed about $300,000. That's good for that year that we're in. <laughs> yes. It's hard for next year in that we have, I'm using the word pinch point, of mm -hmm. we've got to repay that amount. Good news, our enrollment bounded back up, yeah. but it didn't bound back up enough to uh, have new growth in our budget, and we all know costs are going up uh, for everything. Yeah. Um, so we've got to, before we can even think about any increased costs for maintenance or cost of food or any of those, even though yeah. they're across multiple areas, we've got to repay that 300000 Yeah. Um, so it does kind of put us upside down, if you will, for our planning for this next school year, which is fiscal 23. So how do we lead this process? And, and I say we, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, as superintendent, this is um, one of the big bullets in your job description. Absolutely. I mean, this yeah. is this is a critical part for of a process that you know you ultimately lead. And so I'll ask you know like the simple question. You know, on budgets like this in in schools, don't we just take whatever we did last year and apply it to this year, and and everything yeah. works out great? I'm sure different people have different strategies, <laughs> <laughs> and there is there are some rolling costs. That, you, yeah. mean, you know, you're going to have to be able to. Uh, clean your buildings. You know you're going to have to have instructional supplies for students, all those things. And of course, our biggest expenditure by far are our staff. Uh, typically, that's between 80 to 83 percent of your budget yeah. is in people. To help with that, I like to look at um, some models of school finance that have been researched over time. One that I'm familiar with and rely on actually comes out of the University of Wisconsin. Okay. And it's about a 20-year look. It's a professor, I think, emeritus now, um, uh, Mr. Auden, Dr. Auden, uh, really spent his lifetime looking and researching school finance. But it encourages you to think about what data do you have that allows the process to be more based on a data look uh, than any arbitrary sort of decision making, trying to shed a light on it. So for example, right now we are looking at what are the class sizes we might desire, mm -hmm. what's our current state, and how close are we to that standard that we want to set. And there are standards for every single category of school finance. So it's a combination of understanding where we are, looking at what we think is ideal, and matching that up with what are the available resources. And we're just, that's where we are in the yeah. process right now. And it's a starting point. 
you know, at, for us totally. as a district, and I would imagine totally. for other districts, um, looking at that research and that work, it's a good um, grounding exercise to, to start the process of, of considerations on decisions that ultimately need to be made. Well, you know, there are the, there's a, that framework or that kind of model that you look at, but then you have to also look at, and so how are, are the children doing? Yeah. So there's all the factors of high needs, special needs, and we certainly want to be conscious of any data uh, we have in our student achievement uh, databases about is there a place where we might feel like we need extra support based on uh, how that performance is looking on like mathematics and literacy sorts of measures. Yeah. And so we're trying to use triangular sets of data uh, as a basis that we can both be transparent about mm -hmm. and that we have a good hypothesis of will actually make a difference for student learning, which yeah. of course is our ultimate goal. Well, you know, I, I, part of the intent of this podcast episode is to sort of open that door a little bit uh, because there is a lot of thought and considerations that need to take place um, when establishing the budget for the next year. So, you know, just in the last week, um, that process continued, you know, chart paper on the walls with our different school buildings. <laughs> yeah. You know, it had some student data on there because you need to be able to visually see those things yes. in order to um, be informed on, all right, what does our district look like? Like, yeah. how does this elementary look, you know, compared to this elementary? What supports do they have? Um, and it's all part of that process. And, you know, it's helpful sometimes for me to think about that in terms of layers so your primary layer goes through about if everything was the same mm -hmm. and you had um, uh, Lake Wobegon, you know, all the kids who were above average, yeah. here's what we think it would take to move instruction. But then as you lift a layer and you look at, but wait, all of our kids mm -hmm. aren't necessarily above average or the circumstances aren't the same. So how can we very intentionally apply a, another layer of resources? But you want everyone to understand what went into that and the data that you're using to make yeah. those decisions. So at the end of the day, you have a, a logical model that has a hypothesis based in research mm -hmm. uh, that also applies the resources you have, but that people can understand so that you you don't create a scenario where people might feel like one situation gets more treatment or yeah. disparate treatment versus another. Yeah, and and all of this, just to reiterate something that you said before, all of this is with a cap on our spending authority. Right. Right. You know, so it, it, there isn't an a infinite pot of, of money right. that can be right. spent. Um, another term that I want you to define, because I've heard, you know, us talk about it is categorical funds. So what are those and, and how yeah. do they weigh into this process? One big one would be our funding for students that happen to have disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, our special ed funds would be categorical and again they're very specific to the needs of individual children uh, but those funds cannot be used for a non-special education purpose. Um, so they have to be spent to help support the students that have been identified as in need of those services. Mm -hmm. Similarly, we have a categorical fund for students that happen to be learning English as a language. Uh, and it's time limited and it's amount limited. Yeah. I could go through, they aren't huge amounts, mm -hmm. uh, but we have several small amounts uh, 
we have one around professional development for teachers. Yeah. That's another categorical. So categorical just means it's a specific cause mm -hmm. and has specific parameters we must adhere to. Uh, and again, general fund is our, that's kind of like our family uh, <laughs> checking accounts. Yeah. And then our saving accounts might be for these other special purposes that we've yeah. set aside funds for. But the intent with these categorical funds, obviously you said they're very specific, but the intent is to use them with a shared vision for the district so that they can um, complement how the general fund is being used. That's right. And most of them, not all, but most of them have very strict guidelines too. They can't supplant. You have to use your basic funding, which is that funding which is controlled yeah. first, and then you can bring in these other resources. Okay. But you can't replace one for the other. So this is going to, you know, progress over the next several months. You know, there's going to be more information um, that comes to us, more considerations. How much of does this time of year, you know, ultimately weigh on you as a leader? You know, we are, um, in some ways, you know, there is a need to take a, a, a system approach and a system lens to these decisions. And yet at the same time, you know, we're talking about, you know, kids, families, yeah. you know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot. This is always an interesting time of year in the school business because we're in the thick of the current uh, school calendar, and yet it is also we must be very attentive to that long-range planning for the next school year. And that really does kick up right about now yeah. and uh, heavily between now and March. You really have to be pulling together your substantial planning for the next year, yeah. both around budget and of course budget drives staffing and we mm -hmm. want to be able to be as proactive as possible uh, with any recruitment that's necessary yeah. this year. Uh, you want to be uh, thinking about what will those contracts look like? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do we retain the quality employees that we do have? Yeah. Um, so it is an interesting overlap and you're hopefully, as you said, always working on that with that question in the back of your mind about how do we think this impacts our ability to reach our ultimate yeah. uh, purpose? Well, and one of the interesting things in, in that, you know, we talked about, or I referenced, more information coming. That's why starting this process by looking at our student data, um, I've just found really refreshing for us to do because that is work that we can do now. One piece of information that we don't necessarily have yet is we know in a system our size, we're going to have some teachers that are going to retire at the end of the year. Right. But we don't right. know entirely who those teachers are. Right. And or there may be some, you know, teachers or staff who, you know, they have to move and, you know, they may go to another district. And so right. they won't be with our district next year. You know, that's all part of the process. But that is information that, you know, it is December. We don't right. have that information right. yet. And so that will be another layer that comes in. And as we move forward through the winter and spring, we need to be able to make educated guesses mm -hmm. about our staffing needs and hire as many as we think we need and are likely with the understanding that a few of those final details will come. Uh, it's fascinating when you've been at it a little while. I have yet to be in a school district in August, prior to the start of a school year, and not ended up with just a handful of positions to hire. Yeah. In spite of your best efforts, yep. uh, but the goal is to have as few of those as possible because your, your pool of candidates, of course, is much wider. It's like a funnel yeah. uh, in the spring. 
the most critical piece that we don't know yet and um, of course isn't within our control, obviously we try to influence, but what will the legislature do in terms of funding for schools this mm -hmm. year? And you know, they have their own big picture of yep. trying to manage state finance. Uh, and yet in Iowa with the foundation plan, they set that cost per pupil. Yeah. And so until we have that last critical piece, right. um, we're planning a little bit without all the information. But, you know, history would allow us to have some educated guesses. Yeah. And we've done that. I mean, we were right. anticipating, you know, a certain amount, but, but we don't know. That, that right. could change. We don't absolutely <laughs> know, but we know it's probably some broad parameters. Yeah, sure. So ultimately, um, what can our staff, what can our community expect as far as, you know, where does this process take us? You know, we talked about some of the more recent and, and early work related to budget. Um, a lot of these conversations also happen at our school board table. They get right. run through right. um, the committee, you know, school board committee. Correct. And then ultimately get talked about at our board table. Um, anything else to add related to that? Just that, you know, um, again, we want to complete this process timely enough mm -hmm. that we can hit a very proactive window for hiring and recruitment. Likely, uh, we won't have all of the pieces together at a time that, you know, there are some state timelines we have to meet. Yeah. But as we inform the board, we'll have what appears to be a likely scenario, and we probably will want to have a range depending on that last piece of state funding that uh, we don't really know when we'll get that piece. Yeah. The work starts early, and it lasts yeah. It's several good, months <laughs> it's a good two to two and a half month process yeah. um, and we want to just do it in such a way that we know we've started with the student data that ultimate goal in mind that we've done it in a way that others can see the logic behind it mm -hmm. uh, and particularly if you have to end up making tough decisions yeah. um, that there is a rationale um, and criteria for that that anyone can understand and follow yeah well, Dr. Vincent, I wanted to thank you for being on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. You know, this is something that, you know, oftentimes doesn't always get um, articulated, you know, all that well. And I thought maybe this podcast would be the best way to share that process because there is a lot that goes into it. Well, I really thank you for the opportunity. And we just close by saying uh, there are a lot of moving parts and yeah. pieces, and if anybody hears this and wants to go deeper or have a little bit more understanding, uh, I hope they will reach out to you or to me and would be happy to go into more detail. Absolutely. I absolutely love that. Well, thank you again. All right. Thank you.